there you go. Well, and it truly is a paradox when you get to the end of this movie and realize that if he hadn't, none of this would have worked out. That is also very true. Good point. Oh, is that true? Javier, <laughs> 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 oh, I love you, sir. You're my favorite water skeeter, buddy. Welcome to the What's Our Verdict podcast, where we fashion ourselves cinematic judge and jury. My name is JJ Crowder. I'm here with my co-hosts, Mats and Heiner. Better red than dead. Javier Ortiz. What is up, my nerds? And Ian Anderson. Some shit. Do you ever find yourself wondering if you should spend the time, money, or both on a movie? We are here to answer that question for you. Each week, we put a movie on trial, discuss the facts, pass judgment, and let you know our verdict. We do appreciate... If you'd hit that follow or subscribe button, tell a friend about us, help us grow the podcast. Go check out our website, subscribe to our email list for exclusive content and some updates here and there. Today we're reviewing Tenet. It was released September 3rd, 2020. It was written and directed by Christopher Nolan. stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, and Kenneth Branagh. Armed with only one word, Tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time. So, if you guys are joining us for the first time or need a reminder, we will start this with a spoiler-free review, where each of us will provide some quick thoughts on the film and provide you with a rating based on a three-tiered scale. Worth it, meaning in our opinion, it's worth the investment to go see the movie in theaters where possible. Uh, With that rating, we do not encourage anyone to take risks with their health for the sake of a movie, so be safe if you decide to go stream it meaning we'd recommend waiting until it's available to stream from the comfort of your own home and finally skip it meaning exactly what it sounds like no need to watch this movie so let's jump in uh give spoiler free reviews ian why don't you get us started Shoot, man how do i get started on this this was awesome like i thoroughly enjoyed all of it it's a long movie like two and a half hours but i walked out not ever having asked myself or felt like this was too long because I would just enjoyed it the whole way through. So worth it. So worth it. Sweet. Matson. You guys know I was absolutely hyped for this movie. Love Christopher Nolan. And to me, this movie did not disappoint. Like Ian just said, time flew by quickly. I wasn't sure if I was getting inverted or if I was, I mean, who knows where I was during this movie. But the acting was superb. The Just the Christopher Nolan spin about what I was watching, the cerebral nature of this film, the action of this film really hit for me. I'm still trying to make a lot of sense of what I watched. But that's what I love in a good Christopher Nolan movie. This movie deserves to be watched. So watch it in theaters because it it plays well on the big screen. The music, the drama, uh, the gravitas of what we're watching. I encourage all of you, go watch this movie. Yeah, this movie is a mind bender for sure. Go in expecting to come out not fully understanding what you just watched. But it's worth the watch. It's fun. It's entertaining. It makes you think a lot during the movie. It makes you think a lot after the movie. Yeah, there's some crazy stuff that happens. It's it's quite the... Anything else just kind of starts to give away things, the things that are running through my head. So I'll leave it at that. But definitely worth it. Go check it out. It's really worth seeing in a theater if you have that ability because it is just a a spectacle and it's epic and it's huge. So, yeah, definitely worth it. Javier, wrap us up. Guys, I'm going to level with you. I have no idea what happened. If you put a gun to my head right now and asked me to explain to you what a temporal pincer move is, I couldn't. I would die. I got it. Well, it's good because in this movie, ignorance is bliss. So you're good. Yeah. Oh, boy. I am I am riding that ignorance train, baby. So 
I guess, yeah, it is worth watching it in theater. If you're anything like me and you have a hard time hearing dialogue and you like you normally watch movies with subtitles, the movie theater is not going to be kind or forgiving to you because they speak through a mask half the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of like, it's very difficult. It was very difficult for me to hear the dialogue. So I would say for the visual, yeah, watch it in theater. But maybe you should stream it afterwards to like get a better idea of what was being said in the movie. You know what I'm saying? I see that. Mm -hmm. So a a worth it stream it combination. Yeah, like, yeah, worth it. And then stream it when you have a chance or just give up on yourself and just watch my house down. <laughs> it's a very Christopher Nolan thing. Like if you look back on all his movies, it's ve- they're all very loud. And for some reason he loves to have people deliver dialogue with masks on. So it is a struggle. That is one thing that I, mm-hmm. I even struggled. There were times and I love music and films, but there were times when I was watching it going, geez, can you make it any louder? Yeah, I, I the can't score was yeah. so loud. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad I'm not yeah. the only one. So I, I could definitely get what you're saying. No, no, no. I thought that. But I've always thought that watching Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah, so it sounds like it's consensus. It's worth it. Go check it out. Like I said, very, it's a spectacular movie in every way, shape, or form. Yeah, so enjoy. If you haven't seen it, which since we all saw it pretty, the early access, you might not have seen it. There's a good chance you haven't. Pause now. Go watch this movie. Come back. Pick up where you left off because we're about to drop spoilers. Going to do our deep dive now, so be prepared. If you're ready to join us and follow us through this crazy-ass journey, let's do this. Let's just start off where this thing begins, and it's with a raid on a Ukraine opera house um, in which a three-man team, CIA agents, blending in with Ukrainian SWAT, attempt to exfiltrate an embedded agent. Oh, is that why they're there? (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Okay. Yeah, you know, the white guy that's sitting in there with a bunch of Russians with guns. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I do remember him. Okay, okay, okay. I'm following I liked how this movie started off with a bang. I remember sitting next to Javier and like literally it was like 40 seconds in. And we all of a like, oh, because like, it just it went right into it. I was like, yeah, okay. You pan into the orchestra, right? And you've got the dude who's leading the music, the, whatever his title is. Conductor. And the conductor. And as the music starts, like on the beat, boom, a gunshot rings out and the conductor's just dead. I'm like, oh, snap. It had a very like uh, like Batman bank robbery feel to it, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it was very Dark Knight ish and yes, yes, I I loved it. No, it was really entertaining. It was a fun way to start a movie, and it's the only way you can start this movie, which we'll find out as we talk about it. Because anything you start it any other way besides this cold open into action, and there's too many questions being asked, or you are answering them right out the gate. And if you do that, then it negates the end of this most of this movie, because most of this movie is a giant "what the hell's happening" question, right? And you, from start to finish, are trying to figure out why. After this initial scene, where you know you're introduced to the protagonist, he's sitting in the back of this, and the Americans wake up, <laughs> and they sl- have a slew of of different law enforcement badges that they could have stuck on their shirts. That's super cool. They hand them the ones that showed up. Yeah, so they were prepared for any group to show up to fight this terrorist attack or whatever it was. Yeah, it's crazy. So then they go through and they end up saving this guy. That team gets away with whatever it was. They were talking about being nuclear. So they get away with plutonium is what it is at the beginning. But he gets captured along with one other guy as they're leaving this. And he, in the midst of that, he sees 
really weird shit with a bullet and some guy he doesn't know. So you're introduced to this mystery guy. The bullet, as we've seen in the previews, goes backwards into this guy's gun and saves his life. And then he's captured shortly after by the same team that sent him in, oddly enough. And he's tortured on a railroad track. It's twisted. Yeah, so he pull, he's pulling out his teeth, right? That's what he's yeah, doing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. they're pulling out his teeth. One by one. That sucks, dude. I would have given him up. Oh, yeah, no shit. I would not have been part of Tenet. <laughs> I don't even think I would get to a tooth being pulled before I was like, yeah, you want to know so-and-so, you yeah. want to know so-and-so, here's their mother's name, you yeah. can find them here on a weekend. Some of them I might know their blood type. <laughs> the only reason why I wouldn't be able to do that is because I'm terrible with names. And I'd be like, I'm pretty sure his name was John. We all just called him Bigfoot, though. <laughs> Otherwise... I would totally sing like a bird before being tortured. Well, he got so lucky in his own mind because the guy that they tortured right before him, they tip him over thinking he's dead and he's alive and he, they steal his cyanide pill from the CIA and his little partner is holding the cyanide pill there at the end of the torture as they're getting ready to reset the clock and torture him some more. He pulls up the cyanide pill, dives in, takes it. And of course, I'm sitting there going, wow, they're going to kill this guy right out the gate. We're going to start this time travel shit early. But no, they just put him in a coma and fix his mouth. So is that all a test or was that a real situation and the test was the pill? So the real situation was, God, I don't want to go into this too deep because this is a conversation that needs to happen at the end of this conversation. But this is an appropriate movie to skip to the end. <laughs> it's right? not. I mean, technically, <laughs> in a way, the test, what what leads them to trusting him to become part of Tenet is the fact that he took the pill. He was willing to die without telling anyone anything and giving up any information at all. So that's why when he wakes up, the guy that's there tells him the word Tenet, shows him the fingers interlocking symbol that together will get him moving through this organization i mean to be fair i was dead anyway so it's either die now with some of your teeth or die later right so i mean is that really such a big deal like is that a ballsy uh, i don't want to cheapen his sacrifice you know i'm just saying kind of took the easy way out and i don't know if we want to be rewarding that behavior it's all i'm saying as a potential employer considering know. that cyanide is a is an acidic Shut property up, that will <laughs> that will destroy. Yeah, it's like I'd rather be pizza. shot in the head. I'd rather be shot in the head than have to swallow it. Like eating hot pizza. You're fucking stupid. <laughs> to be All fair, right, so I don't know that pulling teeth was the worst torture mentioned in this movie because there's definitely another one that was a little too specific and painted a picture. Oh, yeah. oh, we'll talk about. Yeah. It. Oh, 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 oh! Yes, 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 yes. The ball thing. <laughs> there you go. Ball thing. There you yeah. go. So let's jump now. He, he goes to the – this is where the shit starts to get weird, weird. Because he, he uses the the signal that he was just shown in Tenet to get through the door in the science lab where he meets the little scientist lady who explains to him inversion. Shows him the the wall with the bullets, how to pull – how he's catching the bullets. The scene you see in the trailer. That's where everything starts to go a little weird. And we start to learn about this inversion, the fact that anything can be inverted in theory. And we don't know yet. She thinks it's about World War Three because, yeah, that whole ignorance is our – weapon thing nobody actually really knows everything so what'd you guys think of that whole explanation of inversion um my mind kind of melted for a bit as i tried to figure out how that worked because it doesn't <laughs> but it does apparently so the idea is that inversion switches the entropy of an object right like that's the explanation that they gave us yes it becomes effect before clause i think they mentioned in the movie yes now 
I'm it's, lost. I figured that wasn't going to help Javier. No. I know I'm thinking too linearly, you know, <laughs> but I can't help it because that is the world that we live in. You got to change how you view the world, Javier. <laughs> okay, sorry. Continue. I, I'll pretend well, no, like no, it's I good. About. One thing I liked about this scene is that it kicks off the crazy visuals. When she's playing like dance with the bullet on the table and it's flip flopping all over the damn table, so she can explain you got to kind of use instinct and what you're feeling for it because everything's in reverse. It was really cool the way that they made that bullet dance around and flip flop all over the table. I really was like, okay, visually, this is already stunning out the gate so great way to introduce that shit so this is the first time too that the protagonist shows he's very good at his job meaning being a spy because he asked the lady can you figure out what the metals are that were in these munitions and where they came from and he uses that to deduce that they came from india and then needs to get in and see the indian arms dealer guy which is sanjay singh so he calls an old cia contact and they give him a go between which is neil so you're introduced to neil so robert pattinson is neil and he helps him infiltrate this compound of sanjay singh and this also is a fun scene the reverse bungee jump up the damn wall pretty cool that's also in the trailer i will say though that was a incredible performance by robert pattinson like i've been low-key a little worried about him playing batman because all i've ever seen him in is twilight and to be honest i didn't really watch twilight i watched like one scene with him uh he killed it in this movie and so i'm actually really excited to see him in in other films now because he freaking rocked it yeah he did he was really good it, it's funny that you bring that up because i have to give casey her due she's been a robert pattinson fan for a long time and not because of twilight twilight's all the Twilights are garbage. The, it got him on the map, but his movies, he's done movies in the past that are like a lot of independent films. He's not done a lot that's major since Twilight, but he did a film called Remember Me, which is an amazingly dark and gritty, realistic story that I recommend watching. It's a great movie. He did Water for Elephants, which was also a very good performance. Strange movie. Oh, that is a great movie with uh, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, Reese Witherspoon, and he's amazing in that movie. So he is a fantastic actor, so I'm really glad that he's getting into some of these bigger films and being able to show that he is a great actor, because he does. You're right, he does a fantastic job in this film. So they use his idea to bungee jump up, and I loved his questions. Are you willing to take a child hostage? What about a woman? (laughs) He's he's asking all these crazy questions. What are you willing to do? So they bungee jump up, and it turns out that Sanjay Singh is just a figurehead. He's not the actual weapons dealer. The weapons dealer is his wife priya and quality win women can be hardcore criminals too you know yeah well and she was smart about it she's like look it's sometimes good to be to have a male leader in a male world but i'm still running this motherfucker (laughs) and so it was really i enjoyed that flip on that so she turns out they have a conversation it also turns out that she's part of tenet she showed they exchanged the signal and the word tenet and the oh she is (laughs) Wow. <laughs> could, only, could only do so much for Javier. Yeah, he, you missed that whole part where she said, you know, a man, how a man's tenets are prove the man. And he says, well, if you want to know about tenets, I can tell you, you can tell me everything. So that, and they do both interlock their fingers like that. So that's how he finds out that she's leading the mission to track down Sater, who Andre Sater, who's played by Kenneth Branagh, also brilliantly played. Priya sends him to meet Michael Caine who is Sir Michael Crosby. Yeah, what was his point? 
he tells the protagonist how to find Seder, the bad oh, guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So then we're introduced to Cat, and then this is where we get to finally get into the meat, what I consider the meat of this movie. So now he knows he's got to dress better. He's got to look the part of a millionaire. And then he's got to go find Cat, who is Seder's wife, this Russian oligarch's wife, who sold an illegally forged painting, which then puts her in a really shitty position with Seder, her husband. So they meet for dinner, and one of the coolest fight scenes ever in the kitchen. Brutal. Oh, yeah. I was he like, just goes ham on them. Yeah. I was like, you really thought he was just going to let you freaking smash his hand with a meat tenderizer? Come on, grow up. And he doesn't like kind of beat their ass. Like this dude embarrasses them to the point that he grabs, he beats one dude's ass with a cheese grater. And I was laughing my oh. ass off because oh. he's smacking him with it. And then he puts it up to his face. And I'm like, no, you're not going to do that. You're yeah. not going to do that because I've accidentally scraped my knuckle on a cheese grater going not hard force and took like a chunk of my finger this son of a bitch pushes this thing against this dude's cheek and grinds that son of a bitch's heart and i literally gasped i don't usually out loud make noise in a theater i grunted i was like oh god in the theater when he did that because i was like no that reminded me of like john wick when the guy takes the book to the throat like the cheese grater thing i was like ooh, that was like john wick-esque that reminded me of um, crap. The other movie with Denzel Washington, um, Equalizer. He, yeah, Equalizer, where he shoves a corkscrew up that dude's uh, yeah, jaw. jaw. Yeah, that's funny. It reminded me of Punisher, where he takes the guy's face and rubs it on the glass. On the like, glass. Yeah. Oh yeah. And all it did was remind me of peeling my knuckle off with a cheese grater. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't my face, but yeah, it, that was yep. yeah great fight scene though. Yeah, so through Cat, the protagonist finds out that in Oslo is where they keep this forged painting. And there's also more to this Freeport in the airport of Oslo Oh yeah. than what just paintings. So they've started to realize through Priya that they're, he communes with the future. And so whatever he uses to do that is probably in this airport in Oslo. So they go, and this is where my favorite line, and I've seen it a hundred times because it's in the last preview they showed, but Robert Pattinson going, I want to crash. You want to crash a plane? Well, not from the air. Don't be so dramatic. How big of a plane? Yeah, that part's a little dramatic. Like, I love <laughs> that line. So they get this small team. They crash this plane into the airport terminal, which causes a fire and seals off this room and allows them to get within the inner chamber of this Freeport, which they then run into. And you've seen in the previews, the corridor, they're walking with the glass partition between them and the bullet holes in it. And then comes the first version of a a human being inverted. One side, there's a turnstile at the end of it. They turn, two guys, one on each side, come running out dressed in full tack gear. They come running out and then an inverted fight begins between the protagonist and one of these guys, which was crazy shit. Yeah, that was nuts. fun to watch. I'm a little worried about how much security... A company's gold because man if that was how light security is when you're transporting that much gold like everybody would have a field day with that yeah right there were like four crates of gold bars i liked how that one guy on the crew he took one for himself like that was funny the one soldier like sneaks it puts it in his yeah, he shirt snuck one in was that the guy that was beaten to death later with a gold bar no no, no different guy Okay. Yeah, this was this was part of uh he's part of the henchman the protagonist crew. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Yes. But I do love that scene in the plane when he's putting the food away. And he's like, is everything on here vegetarian? Because I got vegetarian. That's all I see. This looks kind of like meat. And then he chokes the dude out. <laughs> he gets so funny. That guy played such a funny part of this movie. Yeah, sorry to derail where we were going. I just had to, you know. No, it's part of this scene, man. That's what we want to talk about. There was only like four people in guarding this gold. Yeah. Like, and they put yeah. the meals right with the gold. I mean, I feel like there should be some sort. Nah, that's and it, beyond. And when gold. I say crates, it's not like the gold was in crates. The gold was just sort of piled. Yeah, they were yeah. pallets. Like a net over it. It was like pallets of gold. <laughs> but it's, it's a great distraction because you know those gold bars laying in the middle of the runway. More people are going to pay attention to that than the fire. Which, speaking of that, JJ, I'm curious because you are the only one that's seen this more than once so far. Yeah. Did you notice in that scene, like the ambulance or like were the things that you knew to look for, were you seeing them in that scene? Yeah. So in the second watching, the things that I would, that you find out later you need to watch for, I saw and was like, my mind was blown that I'm like, son of a bitch. Cause that's, I was, the one thing I did read was on Facebook. Somebody left a comment in a friend of mine who saw it too saying, oh, the movie was great. This was great. This And the directing sucked. And I'm like, how do you figure? Especially after seeing it the second time, I was like, because the amount of attention to detail that you would have to pay when we get to the end and talk about what this whole movie is to make sure that everything's in its right place every single time you see a scene. Because there are so many things that are in these scenes that you don't know until you watch it the second time are in these scenes. The direction is just amazing. The cinematography, the filmography, the writing for this movie is just so on point because of all of the overlap that takes place in this movie. Yeah. So I want to ask each each of you guys when what Neil, we know he's chasing after that other SWAT character who we don't know who it is down the hall and then grabs him, holds is holding the helmet and then seemingly nothing else happens in that scene you see him look at whatever just happened and then chooses to kind of not do anything i thought after that that he had seen himself but we later find out it wasn't him but obviously was the the main protagonist did it did everyone else get that like did they make that they knew that who that was make that prediction for like christopher nolan stuff that one seemed a little bit more obvious so i was kind of surprised because i had the same thought where i i to be fair like i thought it was both of them like there was two different people but yeah so i had my hunches the first time i watched it i tried to go in it without trying to figure every little thing out when i when it dawned on me was the conversation right after that happened with priya and she said that was the same person then i went oh okay so that was him that was the moment that i caught that but i yeah i didn't catch it while it was happening i just thought it was some sort of henchman and i think part of that was because bullets were fired i didn't my brain didn't go to immediately oh this is the same guy but then after she said that's the same person i was like oh okay gotcha yeah so we figure out that these turnstiles are the machine that inverts stuff you put it in one side it comes out the other side inverted vice versa so that turnstile and there's versions of that so after this big fight scene the person in the suit gets away but then later he's talking to priya and again she tells him this is the machine Sater gets himself the inverted materials because she sold him bullets that weren't inverted he inverted them then he realizes he needs to continue to get in with Sater in order to figure out how he's communicating with the future and figure out what's going on. He goes back to Kat, lies to her, tells her that the painting that she he was Sater was using to hold her captive was destroyed, but he needs her to get an introduction so they meet on the yacht. The dinner was crazy and Ian brought up the fact that there was a worse torture 
Ian, I'll let you tell us all about it. I don't know if I want to talk about it. I just, that gives me like the chills, man. I don't like that. Oh, it's a fucked up way to kill somebody. Yeah, he basically said he sliced his throat and then cut off his balls and put them down his throat and watch him try and get his balls out of his mouth while he died. Ugh. It's said, Nothing's more gratifying. Sater is a Bond villain, man. He's, he's like a Mission Impossible villain. Just over the top, insane, and I love it. Well, he's just, Kenneth Branagh is just twisted enough and subtle enough to play it great. But yeah, the line is, is he's like, we're going to take you to this garden and I'm going to cut your throat and I'm going to cut your balls off. Then I'm going to stick your balls in in the hole. He goes, and there's nothing more satisfying than watching someone you hate choke to death trying to pull their own balls out of their throat. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, man, that was... Ugh. Well, he starts by saying, have you slept with my wife yet? Yeah, that's true. And he's like, no, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a great response. <laughs> Their interactions are all pretty damn impressive. So then he uses the his knowledge of what happened at the opera house, the fact that they were trying to steal plutonium, to get in saying that he can deliver that plutonium to Sater. So instead of killing him, Sater invites him to go sailing the next day on a catam- speed catamaran, and they show up. And then the wife, who's pissed because the protagonist lied to her and she's still under the under the foot of this guy of Seder tries to kill Seder in the greatest way possible. <laughs> she unhooks his fucking safety harness from these speedboats and lets him fall off by sheer force. Sailboat. Yeah. I thought he was dead. Yeah, I did too. The way he hits the water. And those things are hauling ass. Dude, the uh the scene where he confronts her in her bedroom and he uh takes off his cufflinks and then he takes off his belt. Terrifying. And then he puts the cufflinks like in the belt. I was like, oh, man, I'm getting some childhood flashbacks here. Jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, Javier. You know, that's actually how people with cufflinks, like, sometimes they store them that way. If they have enough belts that their cufflinks go with their belt, they'll actually store their cufflinks in the belt holes. I think I think that's being really generous, JJ. Oh, no, that's not, that's not what the fuck this guy was doing. He was getting ready to beat the shit out of his wife with a fucking okay. belt. Cufflinks Just making sure we're all on the same page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying that's not the most it's not it's also a way that they store, you know, cufflinks. But yeah, he was getting ready to demolish her with that fucking shit. So then the protagonist sneaks below deck because a, a chopper comes in, delivers a big metal cylinder looking item. He goes down, he's spying on him, and he gets caught spying as inverted gold comes through this what turns out to be a time capsule and they he finds out this is how he's communicating with the future is he buries a time capsule with information then the future sends it back and they have he then gets his gold this is the part where i'm here to talk about guy tries to steal a bar of gold and Seder beats his ass and kills him with that same bar of gold then turns around and uses that bloody bar of gold to pay the protagonist for stealing the plutonium <laughs> that bar of gold got around yeah dude so I would love to be like surface level, love to be paid in a bar of gold. But like, what do I do with that? Right? Like, it, it's a Russian piece of gold. Like, I can't just like cash it in, right? Oh, I've got an answer for this one. Okay, lay it on. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen those uh, commercials where you have to send in all your gold in like a bag, <laughs> and then they'll like eventually put some money into your account? Just do that. <laughs> And you send it in to the guys that want your rings and shit. Send us your old I mean, jewelry. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'll just do that and send in grandma's like Holocaust ring. 
<laughs> Jesus. There you go, making my job hard again. All right, I'm excited for the next part. I, this is where it gets good. All the history gets good. All this is like lead up. So we've now spent an hour getting to know the characters and the whole baseline of the problem. So now we got to steal the plutonium so the action picks up. So we go into this heist and, he, and the protagonist is telling Robert Pattinson, Neil, what he needs. And it's four large trucks, a car that's fast that doesn't look fast. One has to be a fire truck and they can't be the same. And it has to be off the books because the future can then tell him, you know, Seder what's going on and prepare him for it. So yeah, I'll let you guys take over. What'd you guys think of this heist scene? Well, right off the bat, the fast car that's not fast, they went with a beamer <laughs> that looks fast. So Well, in in their defense, aren't they in Europe? Yeah. So having talked to like my brother who served this mission in Germany, he's like, look, like their beamers, Audis, the cars that we would deem as like imported and cool here he's like that's just normal so Mm. i believe that would have been more of a normal car there yeah so if i want to be cool in europe i need to drive like a ford around (laughs) (laughs) probably probably i mean does anyone else agree with that that's what my little brother said that's absolutely true i because it yeah it didn't bother me at all because i think they're in germany or russia i don't it might have been the ukraine again but yeah in europe beamers all that stuff are normal to them they're like chevys and shit here i think that whoever hired those security guys should be fired because these big slow trucks slowly come up one at a time Go and do it front, back, and they don't realize they're getting boxed in until the fire truck comes over, and then they're going to do something about it. Like, it just do they get paid enough to care? That's technically it's Uk- they're Ukrainian police, so no, probably not. That's what they because that's who they say got a hold of the Ukraine because the team got away, but the Ukrainian police ended up with the plutonium. So that's oh. they, it was the Ukrainian police. It wasn't a security group. It was that's why they were able to cut the radios off. And then you see back at Ukrainian police headquarters, the weirdos in the yellow Ukrainian police vests are like radio's gone. And he's like, are they still moving? Yeah. Then what the <laughs> fuck's the problem? <laughs> That is 100% how much I believe that police are invested in their jobs. <laughs> well, and especially the guy that's sitting there not knowing that they're now surrounded by four very heavy trucks. No, but like, like just like what Ian said, I was thinking that same thing. I'm like, move. There is, there's not one, but three major red flags here. Yeah, even if they weren't like, oh, we're going to get boxed in and the stuff's going to get stolen. For me, it would just be a comfort thing of like, I don't want to be next to this many semis. (laughs) So to speed us along a little bit, though, because this is where the entropy gets a little weird with one of now a machine, a.k.a. a car that we see is driving backwards. But yet the people that are inverted, it feels like it's forwards for them. And that's where it was a little like it was like a, a mind struggle for me to conceptualize that. But it sure looked cool. Yeah, the car comes screaming up in reverse. And they're like, what's this? And if you guys did you guys notice the bullet hole in the side mirror two or three times being prominently? Yeah. Quote unquote, subtly displayed at the beginning of the whole thing. And I'm sitting there going, OK, wait a minute. These guys know what this is and they don't notice the big giant bullet hole in their their side mirror what the shit so that part i was a little weird but yeah so the car comes screaming backwards turns out to be Seder and his group trying to get what the now stolen item and this is where you first realize they open up this orange case and the protagonist is like this isn't i've seen a lot of freaking materials nuclear materials and this is not plutonium and neil outs himself a little bit and says it's much worse 
dawning on me a little bit more. That's kind of where he outed himself because before in the movie didn't mean as much to you because you just thought he was saying that. But now we know he knew a lot more. So Seder has Cat in the car and using the threat of killing Cat gets the protagonist to throw the material to him. But in reality, he doesn't. He takes it out before he throws the orange case. Then comes the part, the worst part of this movie, in my opinion. They do this chase. The other guys get out of the car, Seder and his men, but they leave Cat in the car. The protagonist jumps from his car to her car and uses the tips of his two middle fingers reaching with all of his might to push the brakes on a car that's speeding at highway speeds and he stops it with what looks like just a little press of his fingers and i'm like i've been going that fast and had to hit my brakes that hard and it's hard to do with the full force of both of my feet and he did it with two fucking fingers are you in an audi yeah dude it was a beamer man those are nice brakes i don't give a shit what it was (laughs) those are the tightest brakes on the planet (laughs) You know what my problem with the scene is? Let Cat die. Like, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. When it comes between her and Plutonium, like having a terrorist get their hands on like like a nuclear weapon, yeah, dude, you let you let that chick die. That is true. That that <sighs> choice comes up like multiple times of between Cat and like you know the destruction of the world, and he always yeah. seems to have a hard time picking uh picking the Ethan the Hunt one. paradox. There you go. Well, it truly is a paradox when you get to the end of this movie and realize that if he hadn't, none of this shit would have worked out. That is also very true. Good point. Oh, is that true? Javier, <laughs> 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 I love you, sir. You're my favorite water skater, buddy. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, that would hit home for me. <laughs> yes. That's going to be my intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah dude if she dies this whole movie fucks up and the world's done <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm laughing because i also get it you know i get why we're laughing <laughs> don't worry javier when we get to the end we'll we'll come back to this conversation go 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 <laughs> so before they could get out of the car satyr's men grab cat and the protagonist and take them to another of these inversion machines the turnstiles and this part was where the sound really got me because they got masks on they're talking in reverse and forwards because they're both in inverted and in real time simultaneously having a conversation between the two so satyr's doing everything's backwards he's inverted with cat and the protagonist and satyr's men are going forward in time and so they're using tape recorders and weird shit to kind of figure out how what they're saying to each other but they're having this negotiation in the middle of this negotiation trying to find the material because it's they don't know where it is because he got rid of it Sater uses an inverted bullet, which we've been warned will do a lot of damage bouncing around within a body to shoot cat and then leaves and goes to try to track where the Sater, where the protagonist has told Sater the material is. And then it cuts to this whole SWAT team of time guys of inversion guys that Neil's friends with. He brings in the Calvary, so to speak, as he calls it. And they turn in this whole, we've got to save cat. And Neil has to explain that he knows more than he's letting on because the protagonist has figured it out at this point this scene really bothered me guys i'm not gonna lie because i had a hard time hearing anything it wasn't until the second time that i watched it 
that I was able to pick up the whole conversation that happens between Seder and the protagonist here because I hated that they did. And I know why they had to do it, but the fact that they, the first time they have the conversation, it's played in reverse mostly, except for protagonist side, and then they flip it. So then I hear both sides. That I hated that. If you're smart enough to create a machine that can fucking flip you in time, you're smart enough to put a speaker box that translates backwards talk through the fucker so that I don't have to deal with that. Just say True. it. Yeah, that was a, definitely a like chaotic scene because you're trying to figure out what's going on while there's all these like three conversations happening. Like it's it's a lot to process. I did struggle with it. It pulled me out a little bit. Understand why it happened, but it was and the he had a face mask on, so he's hard to understand anyway. I guess for me, it's just I like going back now. Where, will I put those parts on subtitles when I watch a movie at home? For sure, I will. But I liked that. I felt that that moment was authentic because it probably was hard to hear for the protagonist and make sense of everything. And that's kind of what I liked about this movie where we were left in the dark trying to piece things together. And in those scenes, that's kind of what we were still doing. And it stuck true to the whole brand of the movie for me. So I was able to kind of let some of that slide. But yeah, like you want to be able to hear in a movie. So totally understand one one thing i like that they do is they've gotten really good at using the visual cues to clue you into like what's happening like the masks the red and blue armbands the little um medallion thing on the backpack like you see just enough to where if you see it the first time it doesn't make sense but you see it again and you're able to recall back to oh this is where i've seen this or this is what this means now i think they do really really well with using those visual cues it's true i agree with that well, and the rooms are tinted in this one, too. So they have, it, I don't know if you guys noticed. I didn't notice till the second time. The one room's completely red uh, and the inverted side where Seder is. It's completely red. And then on the other side where the protagonist is, it looks normal. But if you watch, there is a bit of a blue tint to it. So they kind of lean into that whole red and blue throughout the movie visually until they smack you in the face with it at the end with, you know, the two teams marked red and blue yeah but yeah then they go in and they explain this is where he decides i've got to go back and get the material and he and neil have this fight about hey you might just unintentionally trigger him getting it you know what's happens happened so he but he goes back anyway and it's more to save cat than it is anything else again he ends up not and Seder gets the material which we find out at this point is part of an algorithm that was created and turned into a physical form and hidden from the future in the past that will allow the entire world's entropy to be reversed and destroy everything destroy the world basically Seder's been trying to build this algorithm put the pieces together and this was the last piece that he needed and he now has it so he talks to Priya telling her she needs to change what she does by instead of sending him with the to dangle plutonium in front of an arms dealer she refuses to do it to change anything so and then tells him we wanted him to have it so that we can now get all nine pieces back instead of just having one to keep from him he wants to save cat as we've talked about that's his like main thing so they invert cat and they go back to their they can't use the turnstile they're in because if they go back in time it's satyrs you know they'll end up getting themselves killed by going there so they know that there's another turnstile in oslo that they'll have access to during the tr the airplane heist where they blow everything up so they do their inversion they are on a boat going backwards that's the cool scene that you one of the cool scenes you see in the preview they're going backwards they get themselves to oslo have a couple of conversations about time travel and the grandfather paradox in the middle of that they have that conversation and you know dive into the time travel they get there and this is when you learn that 
in the initial time they go into the airport to steal, to find out what's there, the fight between the protagonist and this man in the tax suit is actually, they're both the protagonist, one from the current time and the other from the future who's now come back to the past to use that turnstile to save Cat. So you watch the fight in reverse from one side where you watched it in reverse from the other side the first time. Okay. I have a question here. Yeah. Okay. Before he goes in inverted, he is told that if he finds or interacts or touches his future or past self, that is self-annihilation. And then he immediately starts fighting himself. So how does that fit into the rules that were set? Because she also clarifies and said, this is why we have the suits that cover everything. Because it's your particles have to that have to come into contact. If you have this full body suit on that they're wearing, that's covering every inch of your skin, your human particles won't touch his human particles. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. The particles that are touching are the, the suit and the uniform you're wearing and his particles. So that keeps the, cause that whole thing is the matter of the same. You can't occupy the same space. Two different times can't occupy the same space. So because he was in full tactical gear, that's how they got around that. Correct. So that the particles yeah. that are it like touching, the condom, Exactly. Like, yeah. It's like yeah. a battle condom. Yeah. Okay. Or cool. a time travel <laughs> battle condom. And having a baby is self annihilation. I'm getting this. All right. Cool. <laughs> Nicole, that wasn't at, directed at you or anything like that. I just want to speak for Javier there. He loves Jason. No comment. But yeah, that's their explanation is their particles aren't actually meeting if they, it would be the suit's particles that are touching, not their own. So it's it's me and Ian. I think Ian and I were actually saying like the same thing. Well, why was he then shooting at himself? He wasn't. If you, you, when you guys watch it the second time, what you can't see in the reverse when you, when we watch it the first time from the original protagonist's version, you don't see it. It looks like he's shooting at his head. When you watch it the second time, there's a subtle little flip of the barrel of the gun every time he fires. He could have shot himself in the head, but he pulls it at the last second. And you have to watch it closely because it's going so fast. But if you watch it, he pulls it so that it's just missing him. But why is he squeezing the trigger in the first place? Because you got to make it seem real. Why? I'm with Javier on this one. <laughs> It's one of those things where what happens if you're on a full out fist fight with someone and you can shoot someone from a tactical that's tactically smart, which we know the protagonist is, if he's not taking shots, your tactical brain goes, why isn't this guy taking shots at me? So it creates a different thought process. So he's thinking like himself on both sides of this. I have to take shots to make sure he fights me through this process to get to the end of this fight where I need to be. Okay. If he I'm going to watch it again. Dude, I'm <laughs> then, telling you. Then that's what that's what JJ's saying. It'd be weird because he'd be like, why isn't he fighting me? And then the guy, if if his original self found out that that was him, would it, he, I mean, I don't know what would happen to that dude mentally or where the things would have gone. Well, and beyond that, from a tactical point of view, if you have a chance to take a shot and you don't at least try, and I know now you're not going to try, I'm going to kick your ass because I'm not worried about you shooting me. Does that make sense? He fires off three rounds. Oh shit, this fucker's trying to kill me. I need to be on the defensive to make sure I don't get shot. There's a whole tactical thought process that he's going, if I don't shoot at him, he's going to know I'm not going to shoot him, which gives him a tactical advantage. Whereas if I have him on the run thinking I'll shoot him, if he gives me a half a second, I can keep the fight going in a way that gets us to the end without either of us getting hurt. Okay. So to avoid hurting him, he shoots at him. Correct. Knowingly, knowing he's going to miss. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Mind fuck, dude. 
I'm just going to log that one away for later. Okay, cool. Oh, shit. That's funny. Did both Neil and why? I don't know. We can't, we can't remember the protagonist's name. He doesn't have His one. His name is the protagonist. Ah, there we go. The protagonist. Super clever. Did they both go backwards in Entropy? They came through backwards together in that scene? Or did Neil go the other way? So they both go backwards and forwards. So that's when you come through that turnstile, there's one of you on either side. Neil never goes through until he comes. He never goes back through. He goes through when they on their way to Oslo. He doesn't go back through until he's taking Cat with him. So at that moment, there's only there's two. There's technically three protagonists. There's the one in the present when it happened and we watched it originally. There's one moving forward that's running past Neil that Neil chases and yeah. lets go. And then there's the one moving backwards through it that is in the midst of the fight that has to get through so that he can then be moving forward and they can go on with their plan. So you now have three protagonists that are out doing different things, either inverted or moving forward in time. I didn't know there could be three. Well, in that location, there are three because there's one in the present. But I guess it makes sense because there's two. When you go in, there's there's you and the normal time and then the other time. And it's because of, yeah, that's weird. If you watch Bill and Ted, there can be infinite amounts. <laughs> And this is why Bill and Ted is so much easier because they don't try to explain this shit, make it complicated. They just go, we fucking traveled in time, bitches. And I hated that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so here's one small problem, very small problem I had of this movie is when at the very beginning, he's recalling the bullet from the slab and the bullet loads into the magazine and it doesn't chamber the round in the gun. And that, for some reason, still really bothers me because that's not how a semi-automatic pistol works. Good good catch, sir. Thank you. <laughs> when he pulled the clip out and it was there, the magazine out, I'm like, mm, shouldn't that be in the chamber? Because I was waiting for him to just pull the chamber back and see it. Yeah. But instead you he should just it. rack it yeah. and it pops out. Yeah. You wouldn't see that mistake in John Wick. Nope. You wouldn't. You really wouldn't. <laughs> no, I saw that too. So I'm with you. Or White House Down. <laughs> no, you just have the never-ending magazine is what he'd have in White House Down. Maybe the bullet wanted to go home where it was most coziest in the magazine, okay? Who are we to say? That's no, I'm just, it's something small. It just really rubbed me the wrong way, you know? No, I get it. Just because you're all cool now and you know guns, Javier. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a gun guy, guys. So they save Cat using the Oslo turnstile. She's healed uh, they, by reverting, inverting, reverting her back into normal time. They're able to save her life. Uh, she has a giant scar, but then they realize that they need her because the, this heart monitor thing that Sater wears on his wrist all the time, though they think he's trying to be healthy, turns out to be a dead man switch. As soon as he dies, his heart stops. The future is notified of that and where and then an email blast goes out letting them know of a dead drop which is where he is going to drop the completed algorithm. We find out that there was an explosion and we find this early, but it didn't matter until now. There was an explosion in the hidden Russian city where Sater is from on the day of the, on the 14th, which was the same day that hap- where the siege on the opera happened that we started this movie with. So all of this is taking place on the same fucking day on the 14th. That same day was also the day that Kate had, Kat had tried to show Sater that she still loved him in order to get her kid and try to make things work. 
He gave her the ultimatum, you can leave, but you can't ever see your son again. So she now, as the future self, has a chance to go back to that place, which is where he's going to kill himself after he's left, his pa- his past self is left to go be part of the siege. She's been sent to the island with the son, to Vietnam with her son, and he's coming back, his future self, to kill himself on that boat because it was a moment that they remember. So they plan this siege on the dead drop where these bom- nuclear bombs were tested in Russia. She goes back to the boat to keep him alive until they steal the algorithm. They're going to allow the explosion to continue, and fucking everything goes off the rails for me from here. Like, this shit was nuts. And probably the only visual that was badass and I hated at the same time, that being this big battle scene where red team is moving forward in time with the knowledge of the blue team. They're doing this temporal pincer movement where the pincer, pincer, where the blue team has gone backwards in time and now comes out and is able to tell the red team exactly what happened so that they can plan for it and win. And you have to watch this shit happening at the same time. And it like visually, because I was trying to pay attention to so much, it bothered the shit out of me both times I watched it. Like I couldn't focus on one thing during this scene. I quite liked it, but need some explanation there, JJ. So the red team. Yes. Went back in time, but then entered the machine and now was going forwards again, like normal people. Correct. But the blue team never went back forwards, and therefore they knew what happened in that operation because it had happened for them already. What the fuck did you just say? No. That is this whole movie. Like, I don't understand (laughs) a word you just said. It's all right. Here, I'll try to explain it. I'm not saying it's going to help you, Javier. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that Matson did a bad no, no, job no. explaining. I'm saying I don't understand the situation at well, all. Well, there was one thing that was incorrect. So while the red team is going backwards in time to get to the beginning of the 14th, the blue mm-hmm. team is going forward in time, going through that process. They know what happens because they've gone through forward in it. Then they come back. They know what are all the traps and all the bombs and everything has happened because they go through it. Well, they meet in the middle because the red team inverts after they've been going. They they revert technically and are going forward in yeah, time. Again. The blue team then gets to the turnstile in the bottom and invert so that they're going backwards at the same time that the red team's going forward and they know what happens because they were already there exactly so they've already been through it so they're able to tell them once they get back and before everybody goes back again and runs it through one more time they're able to share the knowledge that's there it's kind of like when they were doing the heist Sater tells his guy i want you to tell me what's happening as it's happening because they can communicate while everything's going on does that make sense yeah, it's really confusing. At the same time. Oh, it's very confusing. Where I'm confused is because they came off backwards out of the crates. They already went through that battle, but how did they go through that battle if they just got there? I understood it differently. I didn't think they were passing information to each other, but they were just both starting at the same time. Like the same time, like 10 minutes after and 10 minutes before. Doesn't it, I don't know. I thought sure. I had it, and then I listened to you explain it, and now I'm lost. Well, and because that- remember in the briefing, the people asked, "Why can't we see the blue team?" Because they and were already at the end of it. At the end of the blue team the is already fight. at the end of the fight. They're sitting in the the crates. Then when the whole thing starts, they come out of the crates backwards because they're moving back through the fight backwards from to the beginning. So we're saying the blue team 
did they get reinverted to go through the fight and then they inverted to go backwards through it? The blue team never had to be reverted until so when Neil at the end says he's going back in, he's going to have to invert again mm-hmm. so that he can be part of that whole process one more time. What what happened was that's why they won't the guys say why won't they let us see in the blue team maybe it's because we don't want to see what happens because everybody that's dead on the blue team is dead because they've been through it forward in time now they've been inverted and are moving back through the fight and are at because they're at the end they're able to tell the red team what to prepare for and like they were able to coincide those two rockets that flip that building and kill everybody yeah. at the same time on both sides because why not just they were at have the them tell them from the crate like they'd be like hey this happened this is going to happen this is going to happen well somebody did that's why they planned on it. That's that's where the communication came from. Was once Blue was in the crates, they just didn't let them out of the crates because they didn't want to see all the carnage and the death. Because then as the red team, mm-hmm. why do I want to do that, right? Yeah. So that's when they communicated was at the end. And now they're synced up so that they're exactly hitting the end of it and the beginning at the same time, just in reverse. I'm going to have to watch it again. Yeah, you will. It's rough. It's a rough watch for sure. Yeah. I was lost that whole scene. Like I got the general gist of what we were trying to do, which was get into that little pit thing and stop the algorithm. Yeah. But the two teams moving through opposite of each other. It yeah, looked cool. No. And I knew I, I knew I was missing it too. When they blew up that building and like uh, they timed it were like just right. I'm like, I'm missing something here. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I am. There are certain parts of that fight, even watching it twice, I don't understand. Like that building getting blown up. I know it was cool, and I know the concept of how they did it, but I don't know why it worked the way that it did because it's just yeah, confusing as shit. Or why they. When you go into that machine, isn't there? There's essentially two of you. Yes. That is created. One going in, one so coming out. So then, like, like Neil or the protagonist and such, what about these other them? Well, that's where you get into your infinite. So Neil talks about when he asks in the, when they're in the truck driving to go to Oslo and the protagonist says, I figured something out. He says, if we if we're here, that means that we're successful. And Neil says, optimistically, yes. And he goes, well, pessimistically, pessimistically, there are mil- infinite amount of alternate universes. So in theory, sure, they win and all that happens, but we don't know how many there are. There's infinite. It's It goes back, Ian joked about Bill and Ted, but they're not wrong when you're talking the theoretical physics of time travel. If one person can go back in time, that means there are infinite versions of each of us. There's no end to how many of us can be out there in the space-time continuum because you go back in so, time, you move on, you're still going to go back in time, so it's just going to repeat that process and each one can do a different thing. Yeah, this is some real like Rick and Morty shit right here. <laughs> Okay, so so really, we are not fighting to save the world. We're fighting to save this one reality, which it just seems like a lot of work if it's just one reality out of an infinite number of realities. But it's tough because it's your only reality and you don't know uh, that uh, any other reality is successful. If you go back to Endgame, right, there were 14 million different versions that dr strange saw and only one of them was successful at beating thanos how do you know that all the work you they just put in in this movie wasn't for the one universe that doesn't get destroyed Mm. so that's why you got to be willing to put in the work okay so here's my big question because i i've been waiting all podcast to ask you this jj i don't understand how the death at that particular moment of Seder um works because he i i don't i 
don't get how he's where he is and doesn't know what's going on on that boat. And he's killed, but yet. Well, that's future Seder yes. that went back, right? Yes. So that Seder does know everything. That's that Seder, he doesn't know what's going on the boat because it's the first time happening to him. Yes. So they, if, he, if he were to die there, yes. how does he then do all the other stuff that he did in the future? He doesn't do anything in the future. That's as future as Seder gets, is that version of Seder that she kills in the end. Yeah. He doesn't do anything in the future. It's the future. He's just communicating with the future. They're the ones. So, for example, when he dies, his thing sends out an email saying that the algorithm is buried now in this location in Russia. They then in the future know to go there because nobody's going to in the future. Nobody knew where that place was until he tells them. I'm not worried about that part. I'm worried about like, how does he die there? But then all this other stuff that has happened with interacting with him has happened. Like the whole movie where he's in all these other spots. Yeah. How does he go? That that can't happen because they went back in the, to kill him. And then, to, you know what I'm trying to say? I, I do. But what you're, I think what you're missing is, is that version of Seder inverted himself and went back in time to be on that boat at that moment. But if that's the case, wouldn't he know that cat was, there's more than one cat? No, because he's in his future. He's not on the boat at the time. So, okay, here's the part with the boat. He leaves to go to the opera. The in the present on the 14th Seder gets on a chopper, leaves the boat, goes to this the opera when they're attacking the opera. The he sends his wife and kid to the to Vietnam or wherever he sends them off the boat so that he can leave. He comes the future Seder now comes back. So the past Seder has no idea what's happening on that boat because he's at the opera. And every other Seder from there on is moving forward from the opera. Only the future Seder is now on this boat. He thinks that his wife and son are gone, but his wife, the future cat, is now on this boat with him, which is why she's saying she's kind of freaking out because she's now in two places in that same time frame. She's on that boat with the kid coming back. She's on the boat. He still has no idea what's happening because everything he's done yet – well. This it's a loop of Seder. Just so you know, this whole movie is a giant causal loop, and he's at the end of the causal loop. Then I guess where my misunderstanding is coming from is I didn't know that Seder was on the boat and then went to the opera, yeah. and the future one came back, because I don't get why he would come back. Because they showed a scene on that It's Quick where he's in like the shorts and a t-shirt, like the gray t-shirt, and then I thought I saw him like either getting on the helicopter because then the seder we see is in the white shirt and looks different than the seder that was in the vietnam boat scene okay. that you saw previously well and she makes a comment when she gets on the boat he says i thought you were you took the boat with our son with max and she said i thought you were on the helicopter and left and so they have this thing where they both know that in reality they both know in theory they should have both known that these weren't the present time because he knows he's future but he thinks she's present she knows that both of them are future but she has to play that she's the present which is why she's acting like hey i i want to try to fix things i came back because i wanted to see you and talk about what happened and then he says i was joking about the whole threatening to take her son away she can either leave or never see her son again Okay, so there's. Uh, I'm gonna watch it again in the next day or two, and I'm gonna look for that because that's I think what threw me off. You'll catch it, and she makes the comment when they're figuring out where he'll be. The reason that future Seder goes back to that moment is because it was the last time he felt like she was trying to love him. 
And it, for all of his bullshit, and you can see it at the end, he loves her. He even says, we know your my opinion of you is much higher than your opinion of me. He actually does love her. He's just a piece of shit, and he's dying, and he's wrapped up in all this garbage. Trying, And he tells the protagonist over the phone at the very end, look, I sold my soul for more time. So he knows he's a piece of shit, but he loves her, and he's always wanted her. So he goes back because that was the last good moment that they had. That's why he chooses to die there. Gotcha. That makes more sense. JJ, just for the sake of my remembrance, explain to me again why this algorithm was pulled apart because they didn't want people to find this. But then someone in the future was like, no, I do. I'm going to screw everyone. Is that right? Kind of. Like, that's what I, I... So, yes. When it was invented, they compared it to the atomic bomb. So when Oppenheimer created the atomic bomb he got scared that theoretically mm-hmm. the when you set off the atomic bomb it could have it could have uh, continued to fission forever and destroy the whole world so they almost didn't use the nuclear bomb but then they did Oppenheimer says, that's fine. We're going to go ahead and do it. They compare this scientist that created the algorithm to Oppenheimer, only she'd made the other choice. She said, I'm not going to just say, let's go ahead and do it. She said, this can't happen. She rebelled. She broke it into nine pieces, put it in that physical form, and then sent it back in time and hid it amongst the the nuclear materials because they wanted to use it. And in her mind, it could do one of two things. It's either going to, it's going to invert the whole world, the flow of time, destroy the past, except for the moment where they invert, or it's going to destroy everything, everyone, and nothing exists anymore. And she wasn't willing to have that be on her conscience. So she decided to separate it and send it to the past so that it could never be used. And then, but someone wanted to use it to do that very thing and, and try and end the past. Yeah, they, they obviously wanted to do it. And he explains, Sater explains that they're, the oceans have risen, meaning global warming has melted the ice caps and their rivers have dried up. So they have no way yeah. of, they're basically dying. And so they need to reset the flow of time so that those that are living in the future can continue to live in spite of the past. And so there's still that, the grandfather paradox, what happens if you kill all your ancestors? They don't care because they're that desperate. So we're saying if they killed everyone up to that point, then there would be no the earth would basically be in its infantile stage, almost in a sense, without all the pollution and everything, therefore ready for them to continue to live. Correct. Or at least they would be able to live their life in reverse until they got there. Because you can see that they can still function inverted. Oh, because they were going, they'd be going backwards in a sense. And they can still live inverted. It's just everything feels backwards. They're doing everything in reverse. But it's better than... But it's better than being dead. All right. So then, and then the other question, Priya, where does she fit within it? She wanted it to be found, and because that's what all that confused me too. Like, what what was her motivation? So let's let's finish up how this ends, and then we'll come back to that because that's explained at the end of well. So the reason they wanted it found, she okay. says, yes, we want him to have all nine pieces because it's the only way to get the other eight. We knew this was the last one. We wanted you to fail so that he got the last piece because now we have all nine pieces together so we can get them all and separate all nine pieces again and keep them so that no one knows where all nine are. So that's her motivation. That's her orders that we find out later. So basically at the end of this battle, there again, we've got three Neils. One Neil takes a bullet so that he can unlock the door, allowing the protagonist to get through that locked door and stop the time capsule from being dropped. The other Neil tries to get in and save them by honking the the horn. Then the one course moving backwards is the one that 
he ends up flipping and we talk to him later. But so Neil is like the savior of this whole plan because he ends up driving him out of the, even though, because Kat kills Seder early. Brutal death scene, by the way. What a great fucking death scene. She shoots him in the chest because she refuses to let him win. She's already been setting up. She knew exactly what she was going to do because she unhooked those chains, spray, puts the sunblock on the deck and then slides his ass off. And when he smacks his head on the side of that boat that was the second time i made an audible mm. noise because then he flips over and you see his fucking loosey-goosey neck fall into the water i was like oh that was so brutal yeah so she can it was like that scene from titanic where the dude bails off and hits the rudder you know Ugh. it was beautiful and it, the sound that and of course chris nolan it's always so fucking loud just crunch so she kills Seder early the, the hard part about that is if they don't get the algorithm out of the hole, it will be buried in the future. We'll have it and they're done. Neil saves them, drops a rope down into it that pulls them out. So they're able to get the algorithm out and kill Seder. So the future is safe for now and the present is safe in the past for the time being. And then Ives, the general, so to speak, of this, the army or the cavalry doesn't kill all three of them for knowing what's there, but separates it, gives each a piece and says, we hide it. Then we take our own lives is the only way to be sure no one ever knows where they're at. But each man can decide when they're going to do that. And then we find out that Neil and the protagonist have Neil's known, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, Neil has known the basics of what was going to happen and how to a certain degree it was going to happen from the very beginning. He was recruited by the protagonist in far many, many years from this moment that we're in now in the future. And then he's worked his way backwards as the reverse part of the pincher move it, this whole giant temporal pincer move to, to the point where they actually save the world. And then Whoa. Priya. So then we find out he, we see Priya, he gives Kat a phone and says, if you ever have a problem, call this number. Don't, just say an address or where you're at, speak into it. And she says, well, who's going to get it? And he says, posterity. Then you see Priya getting ready to kill her because she knows too much. And then the protagonist jumps in the back of the car, kills Priya, tells her, we've both been working for me this whole time. I am the protagonist, which I thought was just a fantastic line and scene. So that's her. Her thing was just to make sure that they lost that piece to Seder so that they could get all nine back. Need to watch the movie again. Yeah, you have to. I will want. I will watch it again just to try to solidify my knowledge of what I think might have happened in this movie. So, but is Seder is he really dead? So, uh, future Seder is dead. But if you're following the you know the whole infinite universes based on the fact that every time you invert, there's a second version, one moving forward, one moving backward. In theory, right, there are infinite numbers of Seders out there, just not from that moment forward in that timeline. Time travel's rough. So I did have a couple of quotes that were really impressive to me, just a couple, and they were very deep. I was really impressed with the end of this movie, that being the, yeah, so the whole Neil knowing him and they were friends, and you can tell that they've developed this bond, but he's telling him, he's asking him these questions. He says, what's happened? What's happened's happened. And I love that line. He uses it throughout the movie. He says, and he explains why he says it. So what's happened's happened, which is an expression of faith in the mechanics of the world, but not an excuse to do nothing. And then the protagonist says, fate? He says, call it what you want. And he asks him, what do you call it? And he says, reality. Now let me go. And then he says, and then he finds out that we, we meet in the future. You know, you recruited me. He goes, this is the end of a friendship for me that's been going on for years. And he says, it's just starting for you. He says, we get up to some stuff. You're going to love it. 
<laughs> I just, I look, we get up to some stuff as he's walking away. And then he's got, of course, the final lines. And those are, we're the people saving the world from what might have been. The world will never know what could have happened. And even if they did, they wouldn't care. Because no one cares about the bomb that didn't go off, only the one that did. It's the bomb that didn't go off, the danger that no one knows is real. And that's the one with the real power to change the world. So it's, I, yeah, I just really love that it's just, just giant. The whole fucking movie is a giant causal loop. If one thing hadn't happened, the next thing wouldn't have. And without the beginnings, you can't have the end. So it's just this crazy causal loop that I just really found interesting. So it's a lot. Goodness. All right, should we rate it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Javier, let's start with you. Okay. Um. <laughs> uh, well... I don't really know what I watched. It was very confusing. And after discussing it for an hour and a half, I still don't really know what I watched. So I don't know if that's a really good movie or a really bad movie. I will say that like the effects and the action was really fun. The acting was incredible. I think I'm going to give this a two and a half because... Wow. I don't know if I can give a movie that I didn't really get much higher than that. So um, I will probably watch it again, though, if that helps. But not because I loved it, but because I didn't know what happened. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to give it a two and a half. And yes, I'm going to watch it again out of necessity. Cool. <laughs> I enjoyed this movie. I really thought that the visuals were amazing. It had great music, even though it was really too loud in some parts. But that's a typical Christopher Nolan thing. But the dialogue was on point. I thought the storyline was great. It kept twists. I love that it gave you enough information to figure it out on your own if you paid attention. But it never actually gave you too much. The exposition was never over the top. They would explain it and then they'd skip right past stuff and start on continuing with the story. So I liked it. I like that it makes me think. I've been battling all for two days now on whether I want to call this a perfect movie or give it a four and a half. I'm going to lean in and give it a five. And that's because I've given fives in the past based on the type of movie. So if I'm watching a movie that's like the five I gave, it has to be better than that for me or is good to give it a five. This movie in the case of, you know, a temporal time travel, science fiction, really fun. I think it's up there with what I would have given a five in the past being Inception. So I will give it a five. There are things to me that could have been done better, but not enough to negate the fact that i think it's just it's the best of what it is right now so matson goodness very well acted love the music love that this movie made me think uh, you guys have heard me in other podcasts like uh, making of a great movie for me is a movie that gives me a reason to go see it again but gives me a reason to talk about it and think about it and i'm having a hard time thinking of a movie that has given me more i mean i couldn't sleep last night i kept thinking about some of this movie and there are other things but i love that fact about it i love that i am a little confused and it gives me a reason to go watch it again to look for those little easter eggs and things i'm not going to give it a five i'm going to give it a 4.5. Uh, one of the reasons being the audio for one just need to be a little bit more clear. And I do want to respect that while I really enjoyed it, there's a lot of people out there like a Javier that if more could have been explained, maybe a little bit better or been more straightforward, would this movie have been a five? Yes. And while Chris Renault did take some professional liberties on on what Inception was and, and how it worked, it to me, it, it made more straightforward sense in my mind about, okay, as I was watching it, I get this. Whereas with 
tenant, which I don't think is a knock for me, but I just try and think about it from the general population where there's going to be a lot of people that may never get this movie. Uh, but that's what I think makes this a great movie. And I, I really like that that's how this movie was played out. They never gave you more than was needed. So then you as a viewer are always still kind of left wondering, well, what is this movie about? What is this concept of inversion? And for me, it worked. So it's not perfect, but it is a very, very well done movie. 4.5. Go see it in theaters. Go see it again. Talk with your friends about it. Listen to our podcast. Ian, wrap us up. So after I got out of this movie, I sent JJ a meme of Oprah Winfrey, and I just felt like you get a five, you get a five. <laughs> they all got fives. I absolutely loved this movie. In fact, I'm probably going to go see it again tonight because I'm telling other people that they it's worth it. So especially being in the theater, Christopher Nolan stuff is yeah, kind of heavy on the audio, a little loud, but I don't really mind that. Um, I think it kind of adds to the experience, like feeling the rumble in your seat in a movie theater. Like I love that. And it was part of the movie here as well. Gave you tons to think about. Rewatchability is super high. Like I thoroughly enjoyed the acting and the different characters and piecing together this theatrical puzzle was just so much fun. So five for me, definitely rewatching it. Sweet. So yeah, thanks for joining us. It was a long one. It's a great movie though. Lots to talk about. Go see it. It's fun. Great scores, the exception of Javier, which I fully understand why he rated it. I fully expected him to come in where he came in, or at least close, because it's just one of those movies that doesn't fit within his wheelhouse. So oh, it's like my friend that I saw with Landon, like he he even told me he didn't think the acting from the protagonist was very good. And he does not like Christopher Nolan movies very much. I was like I was like, Landon, you are in the minority here, man. It was very well acted. <laughs> He thought he came up as like arrogant. I was like, well, well he was. maybe he's just confident <laughs> in his skills because he's like a total badass. Yeah, he was very arrogant, which I loved. I thought that made sense. This arrogant man in a world he doesn't understand. So anyway, uh, Matson, why don't you tell them where they can find us? Yeah, you can find us wherever good podcasts are found. Spotify, Apple, Google, many others. Social media on the big three, Facebook, Twitter, and the Insta. And check out our website as well at whatsourverdict.com. Come join in the conversation. As you know, many movies are coming out. We are definitely watching them. Come join the discussion, subscribe, and check us out on YouTube as well. Definitely. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Monday, tomorrow we'll be releasing Mulan. And yep. next week... We're also going to have the boys, the first, what, three episodes coming out to JJ on our TV? Yep. The first three episodes are released this Friday, so we're going to have to figure that out. With no new movies, no big major new movies coming out in theaters next week, after this and Mulan, we're going to jump back into some old movies that we have picked and ready to rock. We'd love to hear your ideas. If you want to get some on our list, send them over to us through the, way that, the ways that Mattson told you you can. But we will be doing Heavyweights, taking it back to a summer classic to end the summer. Uh, it's a Mattson request, so his list, and we'll, uh, so we'll be doing that one. That'll release a week from today, if you're listening on Monday. So check that out. Enjoy. We appreciate you following and jumping in and listening, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye-bye now. Cinemagic out.